Welcome to Fascism Podcast. You've made it to our account where me, Jackie, and me, Hope, (laughs) hang out and gossip. Not just any gossip, though. Gossip that relates to aesthetics, subcultural aesthetics in particular, art, fashion, you know, the meaning of all that stuff. Yeah, if you like the podcast a little bit or a lot, you should give it five stars because it really keeps the gals going. Really does. We eat. We feed off of them. Like I need them to uh, actually take a quality. <laughs> she has IBS, so that may or may not be true. Yeah, it's like an elf at the end, you know, where he needed Christmas cheer in order for the sleigh to go. Yeah, it's like a little bit like that. Yeah, a five stars it actually causes good digestion. So if you want me to be healthy uh, gut, you're gonna have to provide me the five stars. I mean, I don't know that your digestion could get worse. So. <laughs> That's fair. I also don't carry lactate around, even though I I tried. I I went on a search for lactate. It just felt like there wasn't any in the two places that I looked for. So So I gave up and we'll never have lactate again. So what's trending with you, Hope? Trending with me are island-themed hotels. Mm -hmm. I have been to two island-themed hotels in the past week-ish, and I have famously not stepped within a thou- like a hundred miles of a of an ocean. The first island themed hotel was, of course, in Palm Springs. Man, I feel like we were just we had so many stories. There's so much to say. Yeah. And now I don't even know what to say. <laughs> it yeah. was it was a it was a it feels like it was so long ago. I know. We had just a rowdy time in Palm Springs. It was really perfect. Thrifted a ton. It was hot. It was hot. We went to museums. I came back feeling inspired. I I had like a crazy week where we went to Palm Springs and then I we got back Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, I had to set up an exhibit for this like art event that I was a part of for work. And so I was like trying to print these posters full bleed and couldn't get it to print full bleed. Literally broke out in hives again. Oh my God. I broke out in hives. I just... That's cool. Right? Yeah. So I couldn't get it to print full bleed. So I just sent it to get printed at place, picked them up. I had already ordered 11 by 17 pieces of cardboard, just fucking glued them on. I had an idea actually for how to mount them while we were in the Oakland airport I was like fucking velcro dude I had sticky velcro so I just used that to like mount them I also like that because I can like swap them out or like move them around if I need to so I got that done and then literally the next day I drove to eastern Washington for a work trip and I was trying to be all like oh I'm like don't you know don't fire me I'm good at my work my job I it's like I'm joking but also I'm just really struggling to figure out like how to be my personality but also be professional because it's like my I just have like a I don't know how to describe my sense of humor but it doesn't feel safe for work totally I mean I feel the same way and I'm like I don't know, fuck that. Because it's like professionalism is supposed to make you feel that way. Like no one really fits within that professionalist box. And if they do, they have to like cut off a version of themselves, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I do have like a relaxed job, like all things considered. But it's like, I don't want to come off like an idiot. And I also don't want to like be offensive. So, you know, like with like, you know, anyway, so not in the bad way, not in the bad way. Exactly. (laughs) Not in the bad way. Like in the like in the fun way, like I'm talking about drugs or sex or something. But so did that and then drove immediately from there to a wedding in Olympia that Jackie was also at. Beautiful drive. I definitely got there and was like, oh, wow, like my 
my reserves are low, but did the wedding and then drove back up to Seattle. I was Seattle. very impressed. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I got dressed in a McDonald's bathroom. Literally wore the colors of McDonald's also. <laughs> <laughs> now that you said that, oh my God, yeah, you were. Then I drove back up and went to the kickoff for the art event that I had helped set up and was just like, so yeah, tropical themed hotels. Oh, that was the other tropical themed hotel. Thank God. In, got there. In Pasco, in Eastern Washington for my work trip. It was, we actually stayed in Kennewick and it's this like seemingly man-made island not even island because it connects via like a land bridge but it was called like the clover island hotel and they just like really leaned into it like the signs the do not disturb signs were like shh i'm having island dreams (laughs) and like it was just like dude (laughs) anyway what does island dreams even look like that could be an actual nightmare have you ever seen that Mm. one leonardo DiCaprio caprio movie that one where he's on an island uh and then like clover island wait Clover Shutter Island? Island? <laughs> what is Shutter Island? Yeah. What happens in that movie? I don't know. There's a lighthouse? People are upset and it's gloomy is all I know. It could be like that. Right. I mean, Iceland is definitely not tropical island vibes either. Hashtag not all islands. Anyway, what's trending with you, Jackie? Pretty much the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, copy paste. It's kind of crazy how much we've done in the last couple weeks, how much we've been at. Like, The fact that we spent five days in Palm Springs, came back. I had a day of rest. No one else in my group of friends did. And then that weekend we went to the wedding, which was like an hour and a half away, with pretty much the same group of friends. Plus more. Plus more. Gorgeous out there. I, yeah. I, I mean, like, I. she said a backyard wedding. and She I was, said picnic. She really undersold it. She really did. I was thinking, you know, someone's, sh- like, not shitty, but, you know, suburbia backyard where there's fencing that you could see. You know, maybe, like, your neighbors probably heard it and could, like, watch and see um, from their house. But, no, this is three acres of gorgeous, luscious, perfect, serene landscape it's like the perfect how it's like if you had if we had property that's like i feel like how we'd set it up where it's like yeah overgrown but still like beautifully planted not overgrown but like it's thick it's thick it has a lot of trees but it's maintained really well yeah right and they did a lot of work to prepare yeah they did i was just kind of like oh like when i got there i was like that's what you got to do you got to say it's a backyard wedding and then it's not. Right. <laughs> you don't tell people though there will be, what are those called? Swooping pigeons with bells attached to them. Okay. So another fun fact about this friend that we saw get married, this group, the two people got married. Her dad, the, the person's property's father, I mean like she didn't own it. Her dad owned it and her parents owned it. He's also a falconer. Did you know that? He's I, like a, I discovered that. Were you the one to tell me that? I feel like I don't think so. I feel like it might be made up at this point. It's just like people, <laughs> people were like, he likes doves, and it turned into he's a falconer. Birds everywhere. He's because he's a sculptor as well. He's an insane. Wait, you person. said there's birds everywhere because he's a sculptor. So he sculpts birds. Okay. There's birds all over the house that he has sculpted. Yeah, out of brass or oh, bronze, and uh, some of it even wood. He's cut out some like all the doors have birds on them. He's just a bird freak, and in a good way. He had. A bunch of pigeons with that would swoop like really close to your head so you were like these have got to be like familiar of the area like they were in packs i guess is what you call it at They're, first you're like am i under attack and then you're like no no they're with us and then they land in their little home all chill because they have a home there they have like a little pigeon home and they have little bells on them how did they know they were supposed to fly back and forth I think that's just what they do. I she, I think he trained them. I don't know. Why would I know? I don't know, man. You were the, I don't know. Maybe you got the scoop. <laughs> Suddenly I'm like, well, in fact. Um, I mean, you're wearing a sweater vest, okay? 
people expect you to know stuff i just think it's really funny that uh we not only have one bird freak a uh, uh, one parental bird freak in our oh, room we have two yeah yeah one rescues birds one trains them they could team up they, that's what i'm saying they need to meet because i think that is like that is bizarre i mean how many bird people do you know in the world and how i mean like rye is our good friend that's bomb is a big bird person and like you know rescues birds and takes care of them but also like they told rye that they didn't think that they could love anything as much as their parrot before rye was born yeah <laughs> that gives you an idea <laughs> and like her mom meant that from the the, the, the bottom, bottom of her yeah. soul you know like yeah it's like i have a friend hi kim if you're listening to this who has said that worried or reluctant to have kids because she's like i don't think i could love anything more than my dog which i feel like is a sentiment that's like much more palatable to most people than yeah parrot the parrot thing. and my my mom was like worried she couldn't love anything as much as me when my brother came along and she still did it so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go she stayed true to her word <laughs> Let's, uh... Yeah, what are we... What are we talking let's about make today? Because I noticed we haven't been doing music. Oh, yeah. These last few ones. I just did the Rugrat song for whatever reason. That was, wow, I didn't even realize that. That was good. Now, I, I'm, I'm remembering how it sounded. I wasn't actually doing it with you or anything. <laughs> okay, so what are we doing? How do I even explain this? Well, let me say this. We're, I read a book called Picasso's War. It's not about Picasso necessarily. He's definitely in it and talks about it, but it's more about how modern art was brought to the U.S., Okay, I was trying to think of a movie to be like, if it was this movie, what part would Picasso have played? Like, Oh, this is hard. I feel like he is the horse of Troy, but inside is modern art. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Or maybe not. Maybe John Quinn, who's going to be our main character of this story, I'm going to tell. Maybe he's the horse. Okay, okay. So you read a book called Picasso's War. What made you want to read that book? Or how'd you even like come up? How'd you encounter it? Oh, Thank you for asking. I'm a library fan, huge fan of libraries. So I said, even though I'm a huge fan of libraries, I haven't been to the library in like at least a couple years. Fan from afar. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate what they do. I went to the library a couple months ago and was like, hey, I need a library card again. And they're like, you already have an account. I was like, knew it. And they just gave me a library card. And I was like, oh yeah, I can listen to free audiobooks. So I kind of got a little cray cray and like put like 20 on hold. You know how you just get like your eyes get too big for your... Why do they have to be on hold? Like is there... Because other people are listening to them. I'm fine with the system. You know, we got to take breaks from books every once in a while. Did I finish the audiobook? No. So I had to buy the book. But this was one of the books that caught my eye and I was like, Picasso's War. Because I've always wondered what artists were doing doing during the war. This wasn't about that necessarily. (laughs) It was even better than I thought. Yeah. you were just like Picasso. He was alive in between the world Both wars. wars. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. What was his deal? And I was like, I remember him and Lee Miller hooking up. Not sexually. Yeah. But just like at the end of World War she War II. She ate his tomatoes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Literally. Literally, she ate his, his cherry tomatoes. <laughs> and he was pissed. But there also was an article about Picasso, an exhibit made by the comedian that did Nanette. Do you remember that? Yeah. Hannah Gadsby. Okay. She made an exhibit. She fucking hates 
Picasso because he is a gross man, let's be honest. And he, like, dated a 14-year-old when he was, like, 40. And he, he was quoted as saying they're both in their prime. Ugh. I know, he's gross. But she did a Brooklyn Museum uh, exhibit called Pablo-Matic. Okay, a lot of bad reviews from it, actually. Oh, so this was just a gallery that she put together? Her whole thing was, like, 85% of the nudes that are in the MoMA are women, but only 5% of the artists are women. In the MoMA. And yeah, I mean, like, that's a problem. But the why are we uncomfortable? Why are we uncomfortable with the uncomfortable? Like, I think she was pushing away this idea that modern art could be perceived because I guess because Pablo Picasso has just ruined it for everybody as a worthy exhibit of art. So what time period were the pieces that she displayed from then? Like pre-modern art? No, they were all modern art pieces, but none of them had any like words next to it. It was very like... It was like neutered feeling? Very neutered feeling. I, I don't feel like I could give the best review of it yet. That's, but, yeah, that's fine. We don't have to get too into it. But I do think we should acknowledge that and maybe like in the next, because we're going to do another, I'm going to do another one on modern art piece, kind of get more into, into it because it is ex- interesting. And I'm going to read this. Perhaps no artist enjoys as much global name recognition as Pablo Picasso. In the 50 years since his death in 1973, culture and art history have undergone sweeping change. The way we look at Picasso has changed too. Let's talk about how. Past 50 years have encompassed, among many other social movements, the rise of feminism. And so to mark this anniversary, we are exploring questions about his legacy by displaying Picasso's art alongside works by a range of women artists. We think it's time to add another layer to our understanding of this towering figure of modernism. Museums are, after all, a place where the past and present meet. As curators, we believe our exhibits should encourage and hold space for nuanced dialogues, even if they are uncomfortable. But what better way to wade into these waters than with a bit of humor? Comedy is such a powerful tool for sparking conversation and revealing unexpected ideas. That is why we have collaborated with comedian Hannah Gadsby on this exhibit. With their pointed wit and grounded in art history, they challenge us to look again and look differently. All ideas that I agree with, but New York Times gave a pretty scathing negative review, and I think it's worthy of of looking at and examining. I read that too, and I was like, yeah, I agree with that as well. I haven't gone to the exhibit at all. So just, just to kind of touch on how Picasso is still affecting us today and how yeah. modern art really creates so many emotions. And so many dialogues and... Yeah, and Americans hate modern art. I really, I believe it to our, like, it, and this is the story of Hal. So I'm beginning. This is me starting. Okay. This guy, he's at the doctor office. The doctor says he has six years to live. Oh, man. And thus, he knew his deadline to bring modern art to America. Oh, wow. That was the last thing he wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like. It's the last thing he was doing. Right. Time period was 1916, and his name was John Quinn. John Quinn, a man of humble beginnings. He's an Irish American. His parents were Irish immigrants. Eventually becoming a lawyer on Wall Street, as they do. John Quinn did or his parents did? John Quinn. You know, he did that whole pull yourself up from the bootstraps as they did at the turn of the century, which was actually possible. He served as a counsel at the New York Exchange and was on the National Bank of Commerce. I mean, he was in. He he made it. Yeah, he was in on the New York money financial district. He was a well-known lawyer. He also loved provocative art. Okay. He just seeked art that was, in a sense, disruptive. 
That was kind of his whole thing. Tantalizing because it's like not exactly what the financial district was about at all. So he had like two lives. He was a lawyer in the daytime and then at night was looking for things to blow his fucking mind. Wow. He indulged in a lot of like, before he got into modern art, he was like indulged in like original manuscripts by like Irish poets and writers and playwriters. Um, He was like really good friends with Joseph Conrad. Okay. Who's a writer. writer. Sounds familiar, right? There was a title that I uh, I saw was his best novel. Heart of I, Darkness. There was another one that said that used the N word on the cover of it. Oh. So I was like, okay, maybe that didn't age well. I haven't read the book, so I don't know what it's about. But it's like they, he's he's like assigned in high school English class. At least he wasn't mine. Yeah, definitely not in mine. <laughs> Mine, I don't think, was assigned anything. I, we, anyways, I went to Tennessee uh, public school. So he, yeah, he was friends with like that, like smarty pants crew of Irish and Scottish and English alike. Like he, that was his like nighttime. 1961 was when he was given the diagnosis that he had six years. Got to it, live. got it. But previously, before he had kind of gotten into modern art, he was hanging out with just like the English, Scottish. His collection was expansive, said he would never sell any of his paintings. His whole point was to kind of create an exhibit, like create a collection that he could provide to the public. But he had paintings, he had manuscripts, he had sculptures galore. And he also just in general, like sponsored controversial shit. I think that's kind of cool. Okay, so let's set the stage. The man, John Quinn. He's 41 years old, young, I would say. He went to a gallery show. Like, would you swipe right on Hinge? He is tall, thin, wealthy lawyer that's into risky behavior. Apps to fucking look Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Is he your type? I feel like if only... No, he's not a Jewish dad. Yeah, right. I was going to say, yeah. But he could be, you know? they. I mean, honestly, whatever. But he was a womanizer. I'm not a womanizer. I think appreciated the women in his life a lot, but he definitely had a lot of admirers, as he would. He never got married, too, so... He went to a gallery showing in New York and he saw these paintings that seemed to make an out as an austere peasant woman. But it was like the heads and faces were like overlapping shapes attacking each other almost. And limbs endlessly reduced. And Quinn remarked, he was like, there's something really blood curling about some of them. I wonder if he had a transatlantic accent. I wonder if there is. Wait. I can't do it for a guy. There was something blood curdling about some of them. That sounds southern. There was something blood curdling. No, that's... Like some awful dream, partly forgotten, but haunting still. Mmm, that's pretty good. Quinn was attending the first Picasso show in the U.S. It wasn't going well. Even the organizer, Edward Stinch, was, who was a modernist himself, admitted that Picasso was worse than Greek <gasps> to me. Worse than Greek? I guess, like... Worse than Greek art? I guess. I don't know what he meant by that. I read that. I was like, worse than Greek life. Write that down. Yeah. (laughs) Worse than frats. We all hate those. (laughs) (laughs) He had heard about this exhibit through a previous exhibit that had happened in November in London. Because, you know, he, he he's close with those London peeps at that time. The exhibit was called Manet and the Post-Impressionist. And this was, a, the Post-Impressionist was like the beginning of modernism. Uh-huh. And it had like Van, Go- Van Gogh, Gauguin, Cezanne, like the classic Post-Impressionist that we know. Many viewers saw only straight up anarchy. London was like, what is this fucking insanity? 
which is funny. I mean, you're going to hear this a lot and you're going to be like, that's so about. And so this is about Picasso's exhibit in London. No, this is not even Picasso yet. This is just like the post-impressionist. This is like Van, imagine Van Gogh. Van Gogh was pissing people off. Van Gogh and he was was dead already. This was like, just like impressionism is like the streaks. Right. And it starts to get more streaky, basically post-impressionism. Yeah. And people are like, Oh, the, it's so unsettling. Oh, such long streaks. There was no rotation of images. You know what I mean? Like, like photography wasn't a thing. It was, but it wasn't like in a high. We, we couldn't access the internet. Things you saw things and think that would be the first time you've ever seen it. Right. Ever. Right. Like you would see it in person, and then you would that would be it. I we can't even understand that mindset. Right. Like we see so many images a day. Yeah. And to see like one and it's of that streaky ass sky exactly and it's like of the actual original painting like you would never you hadn't been pre-warned with an image about it beforehand Uh uh you come you look at it and you're like this is insane get this get this audacity out of my face i guess the a realistic hillside yeah it can be little streaks but I, I still want it to like look how I always have seen it. Like, yeah. Of course, not everybody was like that. Quinn, of our man Quinn was like, give me the streaks. Mm-hmm. Give me the blur. You know, this is why we like him, even though he had his flaws. Anyways, this exhibit in London, people were pissed. And supposedly even a progressive critic even suggested that they were part of a widespread plot to destroy the fabric of European painting and quinn's own friend george russell he is the irish poet and critic wrote him about it saying it was the stupidest thing he'd ever saw in his oh van gogh he had just heard about this exhibit and and he was really intrigued and he wrote about how he wished the post-depressionists were brought over here he really wanted to see it because he'd heard all this again he can't see it he can't fucking see it he's literally getting letters about a painting yeah and people are losing it. They're mine. They're saying it's fucking trash. Oh my God. He has to see this painting. Yeah. He's like, give me it. Give it to me. And he's like, I hope they bring it here. You'd be there being like, yeah, baby. I want to see that painting too. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I love that you just think I'm like some slut on the side in 1912. I just, I feel the chemistry between you two. <laughs> so before the exhibit in New York, he had never laid eyes on Picasso. Okay. And was stunned how art could shatter all rules of perspective this is when john quinn finally sees it yeah when he's seeing when he had heard about the post-impressionist huge collection of modern art that actually includes picasso he goes to it because he's like you know hungry for this new form of art uh, that he'd heard about and he sees picasso for the first time and can't believe how it exists and the fact that like he says, shatters all sense of perspective that hadn't been done before. And modern art includes like surrealism. Man Ray was a big, you know, Man Ray's in this too. And Ducamp. And we have the Favism, which is Matisse essentially, and some other ones, but he was essentially essentially the main character. And then we have Cubism, which was like Picasso and Baroque. I hope I'm saying that right. And that's not even including the post-impressionist that's like Van Gogh and stuff. Like people are still like trying to get used to that shit. Imagine have only seen an imagine never seeing a Picasso, not knowing what a Picasso is, not knowing modern art at all, and then seeing it for the first time. I don't know. That's like why that sounds wild to me. And also you're John Quinn and you're like, you've been so fucking juiced. Yeah, you're so excited and you're rich enough to buy shit too. Mm. But that's not the point. 
because he's actually not even that rich. I mean, he's really rich, but he's not even that rich. He's not like a, you know, Rockefeller or anything. Yeah. He would, like I said, become the greatest collector after this, after seeing Picasso, of Paris's avant-garde. Yet at that time, he knew very little about modern art. Pretty much nothing about modern art. He just started fucking buying shit. And it almost seemed as if he barely knew what Paris was. He was like, what? Paris? I don't give a fuck. Like, I love what I'm seeing. Got it. He's like, calm down about your croissants. Yeah, he didn't give a shit about actual, like, he didn't care about French or France or, like, their culture or anything like that. He didn't even care about European culture. He just saw modern art and was just like, this is something. Even though he had a pretty expansive touch on things, this particular part of culture, he was like, how do I get in? What do I even do? Like, what's... Okay, here's another thing that we got to remember. America. He's in America. Modern art hasn't hit america yet really and he's the man that's gonna try to push it so keep that in mind america is shifting at this time this is like 1910s as america always has been and probably will forever be until we do like break down we're always in a state of conflicting contradictions in this time 1910 american homes and businesses were connected by five million bell telephones we had trains we had automobiles i mean we had automobiles that's shaped all of us but that was huge automobiles were provided a sense of like time warp too people were going faster than they ever have in a way that it was insane right yeah we were moving and grooving yeah so yet despite all these large shifts america still sucked balls you know we had we had cars but we had no modern art (laughs) exactly and were based off slavery. Jim Crow laws still existed. Women couldn't fucking vote. It's just the normal shenanigans. Even though we're on the cutting edge of economy and technology, we still have very segregated culture happening, very xenophobia, even though also, another contradiction, we had the most immigrants come in ever during this time, which ramps up the xenophobia. We're at constant odds at each other we were developing into new progressive ideas yet we were so behind the rest of the the fucking world yeah on on a moral stance i guess on a cultural stance yeah and it's just kind of interesting and and it's and we had such a puritan moral stance and we looked at like new literature and art and ideas as like highly suspect because we were built off this puritan complex of uh austerity austerity so much so that this guy named anthony cornstalk the u.s postal inspector i guess anthony cornstalk oh sorry it's worse come stock oh wow <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's worse, but it does sound more like a last name. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He, but he was a U.S. postal inspector. Okay. Is that a thing? I guess it, it was, at least. But, like, is it still? It's such a weird thing to ha- be placed as, but whatever. And he basically asked Congress to pass this Cornstalk Act, which it was made a criminal offense to send every any or every obscene, lewd, or lavish book, pamphlet, picture, paper, letter, writing, print, or any other uh, publication of an indecent character. Cornstalk and his supporters censored hundreds of works of... You saying Cornstalk. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck this guy. Yeah, whatever. You can call him whatever you want. Uh, Sorry, Comstock. (laughs) And his supporters censored hundreds of works of literature from the Canterbury Tales. Classic. We love the Canterbury Tales. To the Arabian Nights. They also banned suggestive images, cracked down on suffragette, and confiscated printed material referring to 
abortion, and sex. So they're like, okay, just go on. I'm just curious how they're like going through the mail, but it doesn't matter. I'm like picturing, <laughs> I'm picturing them like holding it up to the light and seeing like a nipple or something. They would spread it out and probably look at it. But did they open everybody's mail? That's what I'm saying. Like, kind of like how people, what about drugs now? You know, how they know they have a, a, a x-ray. Is that why? That With drugs, it seems easier to tell than like. That's true. Written things, but... I'm sure they didn't go through... I'm sure people did some illegal things. Sure. Yeah. They didn't catch every every tip pick. Possibly. But it was criminal offense. And other American cities had similar morality squads and could be counted on to shut down any modern performance deemed too radical or risque. Sounds familiar. Yeah. It's crazy. I like... I mean, sound familiar to what? I don't know. Tennessee's drag like, performance. Right, which right. was seen as unconstitutional, by the way. Oh, my God. Did you hear... Like, I actually, like, heard what that law was recently, where it was, like, the way they they had said, like, any performance that's, like, basically lewd or immoral and has no artistic value. I was, like, rude. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. We're just trying to phrase it in a way that's, like, clearly you're just grooming. This can't be art. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of interesting that they even brought that into it. I know. Yeah. I mean, because drag is art. And they're trying to make sure that anything that makes them uncomfortable, they get rid of. So that's essentially the U.S. Yeah, conflicting in so many ways. Essentially, the U.S. was the world's most advanced economy. Europe and Russia were creating new dynamic art at this time. So we were just like economically taking over while Europe... Everyone else was... Was producing art. Yeah. July 1911, a Picasso was headed to this place to meet up with, called Sorette. I'm saying that wrong. It's in France. Okay. okay. To meet up with George Barak, Barcue, B-R-A-Q-U-E. I never say his name right because I don't. R-A-Q-U-E. Oh. French. He's French. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Barque. Barque. He was also anxious to hear about uh, the exhibit that, you know. Um, our boy Quinn had seen his the first Picasso. At. He was ex- anxious to hear about it and how it went in the in the U.S. Uh-huh. He his only perspective of the U.S. was like movies that he watched as a kid with like cowboys and stuff, which he loved, or when he was at least younger. And his friend Gertrude Stein. Okay. Gertrude Stein's a really interesting character. <clears throat> I, I want to do a whole episode on her. But she's like an openly lesbian woman that hung out in Paris. She's like just having salons. <laughs> Someone called her an avant-garde hanger honor, okay. which I thought was. He knew them because she would have salons. And Picasso would go like with Matisse, with Hemingway, with all the peeps. Mm-hmm. Other people that's name I can't remember right now, but they're very famous. Not only do he know Gertrude, he also, which is such an old person's name. It's so um, cute. I, I, I kind of love it. Yeah. Could you imagine a, a baby named Gertrude? That's kind of Dude, like- the 19- 1920s names are like really coming back in style. I know this is the 1910, but I yeah, because like it always it has to every hundred years, right? I don't know if that's true at all. <laughs> but the Stein, he she also lived with her brother Leo, so like it was like the whole Steins group. He was like friends with them. Picasso was, and he was like, well, these Americans are pretty cool, so the rest of America is gonna be cool, right? And I all the movies I like are cool, so. Why wouldn't America, like, vibe with me? I vibe with them. Well, he was very wrong. Just before, yeah, is this before he found out everyone hated his paintings? Yeah. Remember, no telephones at this time to your, remember, oh, wow. only in the U.S. did we really have telephones connected to each other. So they had to telegraph each other slash, like, wait for a mail, which could take a month. Oh, my gosh. How the hell did they get any work done? 
I mean, they got so much work done because no one was bothering them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <sighs> Without someone sending voice memos. <laughs> That's fair. I send voice memos. Love it. Yeah. Even the Steins, though, hated, like, Picasso's new Cubanist era he was getting into. They were like, that is because it's your old stuff. They never said that to his face, but they just kind of bought less of his stuff. They were like, what about those flowers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, that's Van Gogh I'm thinking of. <laughs> I like literally, I keep thinking of Van Gogh. Well, Van, I mean, that's okay. Keep thinking about Van Gogh. It's a great place to land on, you know? For sure. It's like, it's like Van Gogh is an island. Shh, we're in Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But by 1913, France was the source of all this new art, and Germany and Russia were its biggest consumers of this art. Which is funny because in World War II, later on you'll see that they're the biggest destroyers of this art. They're the ones that burn all of this kind of modern art. Who does? German, Germany uh, and Russia. They're the biggest consumers at this time of modern art. We're super big supporters. Be the reason that modern art at, this, at the beginning in Europe could be successful at all. And then in World War II, they were burning all this art. Damn. The two countries that were the biggest support. This is kind of crazy. I mean, yeah, it's like war, government changes. The pendulum swing. Right. The same year, in 1913, Quinn went on a trip to Europe, but specifically Paris, to observe this new world. He was like, God, I guess I got to go to Paris. I just found out about it. So now I'm going to go there. (laughs) Um, I'm really into this place called Paris? I think it's at Paris. Yeah. Have you heard of it? And he was trying to observe this new world that he wanted to enter really badly. And there he began his mission to bring modern art to the U.S. Right when he entered Paris and started to meet people, he was like, I think I have to do this. Mm. It's going to be me. Wow. He, in fact, came back to the U.S. and he was like, had made these connections and had gotten 1,300 works of modern art to come to do an exhibit in the U.S. in New York's largest indoor space at that time. Whoa. It was a big deal for him. And really, this is this was crazy. This was like an, an enormous effort went behind so making this exhibit. 1,300 artworks came from Paris to the U.S.? Yes. Because of Quinn and, and the connections that he made. But he, this, he was fueling basically the entire effort and probably paying for it all, quite honestly. The title was, although rather dull, International Exhibit exhibit of Modern Art. Exhibition of Modern Art. Yeah, back then you didn't have to sell it as much, you know? You were just like, art! Yeah. <laughs> art, art! Anybody art? Get your art. <laughs> Truly. But this exhibit struck a fucking chord in New Yorkers, but not in a good way. Quinn had made sure to get pressed to pick up on it. Again, he was like high off this modern art energy, you know? And he was like, gotta tell everybody. And he had the money and connections to do so. Again, remember, there's not a lot of circulation of art and images. And so people were like coming in by the thousands, dude. Damn. And this was like in the heart of Manhattan too. And there was just like thousands of people lined up to just get a peek at these paintings. There was traffic jams from morning to night. It didn't stop. The party didn't stop. Wow. And of course, with that, the art created a lot of debate. Duchamp uh, had a piece called New Descending a Staircase. Really, it, it seemed to be the one piece of art that really pe- pissed people Ooh, off. Okay, I'm going to look it up. So it's pretty abstract and... Is, am I looking at the right thing? You probably are. I'm telling you, what we think is not even a big deal 
people were pissed about that. It's like you can't even see any parts. It's like little cylinders. But it, I mean, and I don't think they had a problem with nudity because like, remember, like a lot of the masters painted nude women. Right. I think it was more that it was a nude disfigurement of a, of a thing. It's abstract. It's abstract. Yeah. But it's, it's also supposed to be a nude. So people couldn't wrap their brain around it, you know, like. Yeah. It made people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And the climax of the show, though, was at the galleries at the far ends of the hall where the newest French art had been installed. At first, Foster was as bewildered as anyone else. Sorry, Foster's another side character I can't get into right now, but she's really cool. I'll just tell you that. Okay. Wow. Sorry, people. Jackie's busy right now. <laughs> she, she dated Quinn, and she also reported on World War One. She's a very much a, like Lee Miller. Many of the works seem violent or even offensive in the way they defy nature. A runaway horse has not four legs, but 20, she wrote. A nocturnal scene was painted with orange stars bobbing in a green sky, so whoa dude you you made our sky green that yeah. is not it is not green it is blue <laughs> yeah exactly so people are are not having it and the critics hated it except for foster foster was kind of into it obviously she fucks quinn you know they connect eventually she gets down yeah yeah uh, but this this uh, exhibit had to keep going. Like Quinn was like, fuck, this is not going well because sales weren't really selling and people were writing really shitty things about it. It was kind of like he was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. So um, like people didn't want to just go see the train wreck, whatever. No, they did. But they didn't want to buy anything. God. And then they wanted to talk shit about it. Got it. He thought the art was going to sell. He thought it was going to like people were going to be ready for it. Yeah. He th- open to it. Like New York. This is New York. It still had to keep going. He was like, fuck, uh, this is not going. Uh, this is not a good start. But he was like, maybe in Chicago it'll be better. No, no, Quinn, don't do that. It's worse. And you think, you would think, because I don't know if y'all know this, but Chicago at that time and still, the Art Institute of Chicago is one of the most prolific and most established like art school in the U.S. And the Institute of Art was also a very uh, established museum, which is where this exhibit was going to. I've been there. I've been there like three times. I fucking love it. Yeah. I'm obsessed with it. You could be in there for days yeah i've seen some of the best fucking exhibits in my life in there chicago was the heart of art in our in our country at that time and so he that's why he was going there with this exhibit he really thought you know young people are gonna love this at least the young artists especially because you know there's a school there he was like gen z (laughs) like where you at yeah so in theory, Chicago should have offered a rare opportunity. Even before the show opened, though, the local press had whipped up the public into a near hysteria. Wow. People were losing it. And the director of a local medical institute diagnosed several of the European artists as suffering from locomotor ataxia, the inability to control one's body movements. Oh, my God. The new formed Illinois State Vice Commission set up to root out prostitution, opened an investigation into the corrupting influence of distorted nudes, the one that you just saw. Oh, my God. In the show. A step so extreme that Quinn at first refused to believe it. He was like, that is insane. Do that. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, the young art kids are going to they're going to be cool with it, right? No, they they fucking hated it. And they really hated Matisse's shit. Oh, interesting. And they, in fact, condemned him to hellfire in Chicago pretty bad. Oh, my. The blue nude by Matisse seemed to 
this one really pissed off the kids. And also, that's what's interesting, blue, the Blue Nube by Matisse. The students created a ritual execution of the artist. Oh, my God. On the steps you of the guys. museum. <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> it's insane. It's a lot of effort. And kind of applaud them for the theatrics of it all. Fair, yeah. As vi- visitors left the Institute entrance hall, you were bombarded by the sounds of, Kill him! In front of a mock jury. And pronounced him guilty of capital crimes against art. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) This was, like I said, a shock to Quinn. He's like, I thought you all were cool. Yeah, dude. You know? How is Quinn the only one that can hang? Literally. Because when he saw these young artists really hating it, he's like, how can we ever be pushing art? We've got so so far to go. He's like, all we're doing is copying right now. He's like, we're not making anything like and he was just i think he was really just disappointed in the, the potential of the future for america when he saw all these students like no big deal from- just really disappointed in the, fu- <laughs> the future of america this exhibit was supposed to change america's taste was like what quinn was hoping was gonna happen but instead it really just ended in a huge bust Probably did the opposite of change America's taste. Probably reinforced America's taste. Right. They Rather than like easing them into it, they like developed really strong opinions about it. It was not in his favor. And even more discouraging were the cells. Like they didn't sell anything. And a lot of these artists were depending on this shit. They like sent a painting over to America hoping that they'd get money. They thought, like I said, Picasso was like, dude, Americans are cool. But while, again, he doesn't know this is going on. Think, he oh my have- god the bliss <laughs> for living- having people burn copies of your paintings and you're just chilling on the other side of the you ocean you have no idea what's going on yeah you have to hear about it you can you'll hear about it in like a month and a half later right queen and picasso would find out that america was not ready both of them once they like the end of this exhibit happened and picasso heard back about how nothing sold and the reaction he was like damn okay guess y'all aren't ready for this ass so he was like, never mind. But something Quinn did in the meantime, because Quinn was like, I got to do something. I can't let modern art just like not come into America. So quietly, he was like, oh, well, I'm a lawyer. I can do something. At that time, there was a tax for any kind of art that wasn't historic. Paintings. Oh, interesting. Basically, any foreign paintings, if it wasn't historic. It got taxed it got to taxed import ridiculously. it. Ridiculously. To a point where it would people wouldn't bring stuff in. Wow. Because it costs so much. And the only reason they even had this like no tax on historic paintings was because JP Morgan wanted, had bought a whole bunch of fucking paintings from Europe. JP Morgan's like the richest man alive. He's the reason we have electricity. He like funded it. He's an asshole. He's a terrible person. But there's a reason his name is a bank. Right now, whole bunch of paintings. All the grandmasters of the you know old olden days, the modern. Everybody still hated modern art. And he brought them over to the U.S. and they were like, whoa, 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 you got We gotta tax you on that. And he was like, nah, you don't. And they were like, you're right. <laughs> and they gave him, you know, they were like, tax free on that one. Yeah, sorry, dude. And he's like, cool. They're and all high fiving. <laughs> they're like, they shotgun a beer. Exactly. And they're like dancing. <laughs> just pumping (laughs) so what he did he was like okay well i'm just gonna push against this like i'm gonna try to make sure that modern art 
is not taxed and it can come in because that's a that's a way that's a way to do this you know this is a way to like kind of like help it be easier and not create a barrier found his way into doing this with Woodrow Wilson which is kind of funny because Woodrow Wilson is known to be like the most racist president we've ever had and that's saying a lot (laughs) yeah seriously he actually wanted to do this like sweeping overhaul of protectionist trade policies he really was like fuck corporations this is not cool dude pro eugenics person so it's just kind of interesting how he's also anti-corporation i guess you can have some good politics you know a lot I mean? of people have been anti-corporation over over the over the years I, I don't want it to be the eugenics guy but i guess I, it has it had to be okay first quinn was like okay hey wilson because he's like you know very well connected let's tax historic art but not modern art Whoa, you know, the old really, switcheroo. Yeah, like a little fuck you, you know? And to the tycoon class, he was like really excited about doing Whoa. this. But then like everybody was like, dude, no. He was the only one that actually wanted to do this in the first place. So everybody was like, that's weird that you're being like that. So he was like, okay, okay. I can't be acting a fool out here on the streets if I want to get what I want. So he played the long con and was like, okay, let's say that art is a matter of education, not commerce. So therefore, all art should be free. Free to import. Yeah. That's really interesting. Import laws around art are super interesting, actually. It, totally. There's a, there was a conversation, this one guy in, at work, he we were talking about sign code, and he's like, there's no difference between a sign and art. Dude, okay. That- and he's like, the, and it gets really, and it comes up. It comes up. We're literally working on that in Pasco. Yeah. We're like, we're doing their downtown plan implementation. We did their downtown plan. And one of the things is they can't have murals over 25% of the building because murals are coded under as like signs. Yeah, exactly. And the rumor is, and like even one of the county officials was like, yeah, maybe, maybe that was the case, is that like there's a huge immigrant population there. A lot of people from Mexico and other like places in, in Central America and or I mean Mexico's North America but other places also in Central America anyway people think that it was like racist that like they made the laws so that like people couldn't express their culture and whatever and probably yeah and it's most likely wasn't made better by the fact that during 2020 someone made a George Floyd mural and they painted over it he had to put aside his law practice for a while when he was pushing this idea of like free art and he just went on this whole fucking campaign he also said that existing law discriminating against Ordinary people who could not afford old masters but might otherwise buy contemporary art, an argument that Underwood found compelling. In other words, the congressman summarized, we gave rich man the class of art free, and to the poor man or the man of moderate means, we declined to give it free. And Quinn found his mark. When the House presented its draft bill later that spring, the modern art tax was gone. It's, he's, he's trying to market it as like, let the poor people have their little art. Exactly. And it almost like, it's people like, oh yeah, we're just letting the poor people have their fun. <laughs> but it was, okay, interesting. Okay, we're getting into World War One territory. Well, you know, bummer. Time has passed. We're getting to that point. Meanwhile, 1914, spring. Okay, Paris is a whole, we're in Paris. Okay, sorry, close your eyes, everybody. 1914, the smell of spring, wet, dewy, but fresh, crisp, and people are speaking French around you. Wee <laughs> 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 wee. Oui, oui. Oh, enchanté. <laughs> okay, got it? Got the vibe? The wind is in your hair, and you're at this place called Hotel Drought, where a bunch of Germans are at. Too. And so is this like well known cur- curator from Louvre. How do you say it? The Louvre. Louvre. People that are 
important, I guess. Everybody was there for this very anticipated event. Drought was staging a public auction of modern art. And one art dealer in particular, Con Weller, was there with nearly 150 of his artists that he was representing. Whoa, he had a posse. He has a posse. He's he's known as the modern art avant-garde dealer. Okay. Until now, his painters have been largely invisible in France. But alongside Van Gogh, Gagoon, and other post-impressionists were paintings by Picasso, which was his guy, Durain, which is also his guy, and Van Rick, which is also his guy. If you're into modern art, pretty important people in modern art. This guy, Con Willer, had been like backing quietly for seven years, and he was hoping this would finally pay off you know man what an investment um and it did baby it was a huge hit by the aggressive germans like i said the germans and russians really fucking loved this shit at first they were the ones financially supporting it in europe they bid they bidding their german bidding took paris by storm and one of picasso's paintings sold for 12 times as much as as it had six years prior wow so if it sold for $1,000, let's do the math, it would sell for $12,000 now. That's a lot. And when this is happening, when Picasso's painting sold for 12 times as much as it did six years ago, Keen Wheeler ran over to Picasso. He, like, stopped what he's doing. Like, I guess he was only two blocks away. I don't know. I assume Paris is kind of small town. It was like, Picasso, Picasso, you're not going to believe it. Your shit's blowing up, Dude, man. I mean, if your art was flying off the shelves, even if you were, like, five miles away, I'd, like, take... <laughs> I take my little buggy over there, you know, because like you'd have to know. Yeah, I would have to know. We would be like, yay! Ken Wheeler was like really fucking close with Picasso, but also with all his artists. And in France, he got this kind of, his group of artists and him got this name as the Keen Wheeler Establishment. And Keen Wheeler, what he did that was different from a lot of other dealers at the time, there were no showings. So there was no contract. So painters could do whatever the fuck they wanted and explore. And they had no timeline and they collaborated. They were very chill, slow as they wanted it to be. Oh, that's such a dream. And they had the complete freedom. And King Willer was like, don't worry about any of that. You do you. I'll pay you. And that's what that was kind of what the vibe was like. So but in the summer, Avignon in the south of France, a group of painters were enjoying their time being artists. Picasso, Baku, and Durain had gone to Provence in what had become an annual ritual. Okay, so if y'all don't know, Picasso and Bracou are the reason Cubanist, Cubanist movement happened, and they are very intertwined with each other. The art history classes I've taken, they talk about how they were essential to each other as like mountain climbers are with each other. Oh, wow. Sharing paintings, blending thoughts and ideas were part of this ritual. They were just completely intertwined with each other, having a great time. Um, oh my god it's just like us i know <laughs> we just didn't have full-time jobs dude i'm telling you it'd yeah. be so it'd be amazing they like shared recipes you know matisse even said the first encounter of cubanism that he ever saw picasso during this particular summer uh with Durain was collaborating on this fourfold panel of still lives that they're really getting into and pretty much their personal life was just as intertwined as their art life uh picasso uh, introduced burku and Durain to their future wives Durain and burku like boxed together worked out together all right uh picasso and barack would cook for the crew and their buddies yeah and they're sharing everything Yeah. yeah and it was also a very tranquil 
summer for Picasso. So you know shit's about to go down. Um, and that's why I'm always scared of being happy. <laughs> it's because of Picasso. Just like in general, like when you hear something going really well, you're like, dirt, dirt. Yeah. Anyways, this summer in particular was a rare, uh, tranquil one for Picasso because he was like deeply in love and it was a stable love. What was it? Was it called a stable attachment? Secure attachment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Gertrude Stein wrote about how happy Picasso seemed with his new fiance he was deeply in love with eva eva she's like really sweet okay everybody talks about how sweet she is she's like the nicest okay mm-hmm. and when picasso and the gang reunited that summer none of them were thinking of like any international affairs by the end of that month that they had like been hanging out because they usually spend three months and i guess because it's the whole summer but the end of the first month the news of the war reached them mm. as frenchmen as frenchmen bar, bar, Braku and Durain had to report for duty. Frontline, baby. And as a foreigner, Picasso needed to secure his residence papers because they're in France, south of France. He has to rush and get his paperwork in order because they just heard about war and he has to go all the way back to Paris. And then he's like, Eva, meet me there. She meets him there. They come back down to south of France they meet Durain and Barack right before they're leaving um, forever, I guess. Um, and he, like, walks with him, takes him to the train. Durain gives Picasso the dog, his dog. Oh. And it's like, take care of him. And they hug. And, I mean, the friendship, Picasso says, always remains. But he says he really never found them again after that what'd that mean they went off to war <laughs> like they didn't see each other again no they did it's just every they the were fucked up. dead yeah yeah it's just picasso's like still the fun one and they're just like <laughs> no he gets real I- i'm gonna tell you right now i'm just gonna tell you spoiler eva dies <gasps> so his only love his like one true love dies meanwhile also picasso's Art dealer, remember that Kuno Weller dude, whatever I said his name was, who was like, don't worry about it. He was stuck in Rome. He, and he's a German who was fighting France. Okay. And, but he had gone off on vacation with his family right before the war went out. And then he hears word of the war and he's like, I'll just wait it out. Meanwhile, hundreds maybe even thousand pieces of paintings are sitting in paris not being moved no art being sold and also in the hotbed of war oh no picasso wasn't getting any money he hasn't heard from his dealer he's pissed at his dealer it's just a straight up shit show what a mess what a mess but by late 1915 the european war was beginning to touch the u.s like it's beginning to affect the u.s in some capacity and quinn became increasingly furious with Wilson, not because of his racism, again, not because of his eugenics, but for his lack of failing to come to the aid of France and Britain, which I think is funny. But it's like, that's the final straw. <laughs> that's the final straw. But it's because he knew his artist. It was his art buddies. His It was his modern artists were dying at the front of the line, and he knew it. Yeah. And he was like, dude, no. Like, I not only are those people that I admire – I'm, I want more art. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my source of art is going to die. 
Yeah. We gotta stop the war. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, though. He had started this, like, small exhibit with this one woman at this time um, of modern art, and she had made a small collection. It didn't do well. No one came to it, really, but it was something he wanted to do because he was buying all this art. He's like, where do I put it? And in the collection, it speaks on how many European, like, people that they were showing were in the front lines at that time. And it says, of nine of the living artists represented here, Picasso the Spaniard is the only one not at war. Oh, wow. It's just... A mess. Famously, war is just gruesome. But yeah, it's it's just a really bad time. But we're coming out of it because it's 1916. And that's nearing the end. It wasn't that long of a war, comparatively. And Quinn, at this point in 1916, was wondering if he had taken his buying frenzy too far. Because he started to realize... He was just like helping artists along. He wasn't furthering the cause of a new revolutionary art. Mm. So he's like, is this what I need to be doing? Just buying modern art at a large sum. Like, is that something I should be doing? Dude, I get it. I, I often ask myself, like, is, <laughs> is the shopping I'm doing really helping anyone? <laughs> <laughs> is it furthering the art? Yeah. Is it, am I furthering art by buying this? Yeah. Um, uh yeah but again remember picasso's over there spiraling everybody's pretty much dead his friends really wounded the the dude i mean his art dealer isn't getting any money and the war was over and quinn begins to conceive of a new plan he wanted to do less toward promoting art in the present and he'd rather preserve its best examples for the future so uh, he didn't really had a th- he didn't really have a threshold before of like what he thought was good and what was bad of modern art, and he was deciding he needed to only collect still at a, a mass amounts, but he he was only going to collect what he thought was worthy of future of the future because I don't know what his qualification was of good versus not as good. Right, he has like no training. Yeah, but he was like he's seen stuff. He's seen stuff, and he's just like I want to make the exhibit happen and i want it to look good it's 1918 quinn has been having stomach aches and some rectal bleeding (laughs) no one gave him five star reviews (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) rectal bleeding is never a good sign no like at best it's like you had a really good time last night yeah at best the situation was hard to grasp for quinn when he started to get Sorry, not to laugh. When he started to get the rectal bleeding, I think he was like, what? I'm like healthy. I'm young. I'm like, he's 47. He's too young to bleed out the anus. It's truly. He's like, you know, getting laid. He's wealthy enough. He's into the art. He's into his life. His energy level is insane. I don't think this man actually sleeps. It's like written about how he just like had it. A thirst for life in a way that like you're like are you okay dude like chill out he could not you know and now he Wait, has... we didn't even look up his sign are you crazy oh my god we didn't even look up his sign can you guess and i'm gonna look it up what's i his... mean obviously well i he i i need his whole chart because like he definitely feels like a virgo because he he loves law and order but he also has something completely opposite of virgo that creates the aries maybe maybe some he's probably an aries Aries. I'm going to say Aries. Aries is my John visit. Quinn collector born April 14th. Aries. <gasps> nice job, Jackie. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it makes perfect sense. It literally makes perfect sense. I mean, he does give Vivian Westwood vibes and the, the thirst for knowledge and exploring and never stopping workaholic, like, but also like interested in, in pushing the edge and. Okay, okay, so his, his butt was bleeding. His butt was bleeding. <laughs> um, and they were like, dude, we got to have, oper- have an operation in your stomach because you have cancer. He's like, shit, really? You know, this is 1918 surgery. You know, I don't know. That sounds like it's brand new. They were new. like, they hadn't even started doing lobotomies yet. Or, or maybe they were just starting lobotomies. Right. But penicillin, was that a thing yet? I mean, yes, it was, but not. I barely. Don't, barely. Maybe. No, I, I don't, don't know. think so. I think that was like 1920s. Something. So that's a thing. That sounds real scary. And he doesn't ta- tell anybody really about it because he doesn't want to make a big deal. Of course. <sighs> oh, my God. Toxic masculinity. <laughs> but he really starts to focus on his work because he's like, well, oh, yeah, I, I think I've got six years to live. Essentially, yeah, he's got, they tell him, this is the time where they're like, dude, six years tops. And he's like, okay, well, let's do this. He's like, okay, got to go to Paris. Obviously. Wow, you're found out you had six years to live. You want to go to Paris? Very original. And uh, he meets this guy named Roche. He's within the avant-garde hangangers. He's like friends with the Steins. He's friends with Picasso. He's friends with Matisse. He's a well-known womanizer. I definitely read about him and his, like, he was very, like, I like to keep things open kind of dude. You know, he had like multiple women at the same time. And then he had this relationship with Helen. I'm going off course with him, but I dive deep into their relationship because they had letters back and forth that you can read about. And they're hot and steamy and their relationship was crazy. So if you ever want a real cool guy that's poor. Figures. Figures. Uh, Roche obviously has the ends with all these groups of people. So ends. And Quinn sees this and knows it, brings him back to New York, essentially. In this visit where Quinn was like really super stoked to finally show his collection. Because imagine you're finally connecting with this person that gets it. Because like he's in America. No one fucking really gets it, you know? Yeah. He's like, dude, I have so much art. You ready for this shit? Oh, my God. And and Roche is like, yeah, dude, let's do it. And then Roche is like, fuck, this is crazy. This and like they're just like they're not like displayed in his house, right? They're just kind of like all over. They're all over. In fact, yeah, they're just stacks and stacks. He has sculptures, he has manuscripts, he has canvases, he has all this stuff, and it's just like everywhere he looked were thick standing rows of paintings turned nose to the wall. In front in the front bedroom were the Irish marine pictures that Quinn had collected in his youth. Another room contained the big Augustus Jones, Johns, and works by other British contemporaries. There was a huge number of paintings by new American artists like John Marin and Charles Prendergast and Walt Kuhn. And then in several back bedrooms, the heart of the collection, dozens of paintings by the French and European modern. Quinn had only a small number of works by Van Gogh and Gagoon and Cezanne. Each one, it seemed to Roche, was a masterpiece. Perhaps most surprising came a series of important works by the painter he knew in Paris, Barcoux, Matisse, Durain, Duffy, Picasso. He knew. He was like, these are the guys. As he would later describe it, there was canvases you could go to battle with. Wow. So, but Quinn kept on being like, I don't know, man. I feel like I only have a second rate. I don't know. Is this as good as you think it is? Because remember, his whole mission was like, I'm, I'm dying. I, I, I. I, I got to make this collection into like the best thing ever for the future. Yeah. So he's like, just like not as not as good as it could be though, right, dude? And Roche's like, I guess. I don't know. This is crazy. He's like, 
he's kind of hinting to Roche that he like wants him to find and can collect all the best of the best. Okay. Because he's friends with all this this crew and he's like, I guess I'm going to become a dealer. And so he sends Roche, Roche back, basically does that. He starts providing Quinn. I mean, Quinn has a couple other dealers too. Roche was his g- guy. Oh my God, I want to be Roche. <laughs> and Roche was like, oh, finally, I have some stability and income because he was poor and Quinn was like paying for his whole life then. He was finally making some stability. And you know how I told you about him and Helen, how they were hooking up? Helen was leaving her husband to be with him and she's like, and he's like, yeah, I can finally be a good husband because I got the money for it. And they hook up because they get divorced and she gets a baby. But then a year later, she she had aborted it and gotten back with her old ex-husband. Whoa. <laughs> See? Oh, my God. <laughs> Didn't know you... It's funny because, like, I guess she was rich enough to get an abortion. Anyways, but this is also in Europe. I don't know what the deal is over there. Uh, well, it wasn't legal when Vivian Westwood got pregnant in London, remember? That's true. But London's, like, not Europe. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. It is, but it's not. Okay, so by August 1921, America was in turmoil per huge and a new round of corporate mayhem looms and that mean that meant basically that quinn was having a really hard time collecting his clients fees so things were a turning not for the best economically economic situation quinn has seen the devastation of verdun and took arguing that united states should forgive its wartime loans so that france could stand a chance of recovering oh nice at least he assumed the country was finally coming to a modern art. A few months before he left for Paris, Quinn and his friends Arthur Davis had scored a major coup at the Metropolitan Museum with the help of Little Bliss and Gertrude Vanderbilt. They just got an in. Okay. They got an in. Metro Museum was not letting modern art come in at that time. They were like, absolutely not. But they were like, only had Grandmaster stuff. So have any modern art into this museum at the time, the most elite museum, oh, it would have been big for Quinn, okay? And so he's like excited. They had convinced the Arconifist Institution to host a loan show of advanced French paintings, the first modern art show in history, according to Wow. Yeah. And yeah, so he was like, New Yorkers are going to finally get it, right? No. They didn't like it? Of course not. It doesn't go well. I mean, some people liked it, you know, usually women, but most people were like, what the hell is this again? And in a four page carefully printed manifesto protest against the present exhibit degenerate modernistic works in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the citizen protesters conjured up the familiar canards about late 19th, early 20th modern art that it subverted the rules of nature that it threatened public morality that it was dangerous foreign import and that was deviant and pathological oh my god to support their arguments they cited such medical experts as francis x dursum prominent neurologist who had treated president wilson and charles w burr a professor of mental diseases at university of pennsylvania who had warned looking at such art could arouse unhealthy feelings oh my lord in the viewer these people are pathetic they truly are. There was this movement happening. It's kind of like Fox News. It's kind of funny how people like a wave of conspiracy happens. We believe that these forms of so-called art are merely a symptom of a general movement. So the people that are scared of this art think this movement exists that is creating 
hysteria in the in the world, bad things to happen. And it's having its object, the breaking down of law and order, God forbid, and the destruction of our entire social system. The movement that they are talking about in question is Bolshevism. And displaying these paintings, they argue that the Metropolitan was unwilling promoting a form of Bolshevist propaganda that was being foisted on the unsuspecting public by a clique of European dealers. I don't know what Bolshevist is, but I'm assuming it's a communist. Far left revolutionary marxist faction yep hell yeah <laughs> in essence the show was part of a european plot that aimed to use the influence and authority of metropolitan museum and other american museums to promote degenerate art perhaps the first time in a major public forum modern art was being linked to early 20th century social theories about radical politics and racial decline and this is the people that believed that this art, modern art, was a degenerate art and caused the breakdown of society to occur, and it's because of Marxist, were eugenics. <laughs> Direct line to Quinn found himself being denounced by a pillar of the cultural establishment because everybody was like pretty conservative about this at the time. And it was just like, you know, it's just like now in the sense of the book polarity of it all right and like the sensationalism and like yeah, yeah. art is cor- art is corrupting yeah it's yeah exactly and in the fall of 1921 however the united states provided fertile ground for paranoia with foreign subversions and it didn't take long for leading culture figures to join in the protest a member of the american academy of arts and letters gave his own devastating assessment of the show in an interview with the times post-impressionism is not an outgrowth of impressionism at all but is pure degeneracy the same form of degeneracy that brought on the war he said oh my singling God. out quinn as the as the animating spirit behind the show. Oh, so people are starting to point fingers at Quin- Quinny Boy. Exactly. He, he's getting canceled. Oh, he's shit. He's getting straight up canceled. Oh, wow. And and they're all accusing him of undermining American values. Ooh. He's just a little bit ahead of his time, you know? And truly, really, honestly. Yeah. He's hashtag canceled, bitch. Wow, dude. Our avant-garde fuckboy. I know. <sighs> but, you know, Quinn only has six years to live, so he has to keep going. Wow. So <laughs> He's like, sorry, guys. I can't. I can't lay low right now. I mean, he was obviously, he's confronting these protests. Like, he was going on a media tour being like, no, that's not the case. He was like, he's just stressed, you know. He's having... He's just having to fight off, fight it off as a one-man show, essentially. And he's doing his damnedest. He's against eugenics. He's one of the few figures that we can look back at and be like, he's against eugenics, which is kind of crazy. You can't, there's like pretty much all the famous historical cultural figures that I know of US were eugenics. <laughs> yeah, it was really common. It was so common. The fact that he was not, he was like against this whole movement just because he liked modern art. And I mean, he hated them because they hated modern art. He basically hated anybody that hated modern art. You know, right, he's like, right. I don't really care what you're about. I just hate you if you don't like modern art. And you know what? That was like his singular lens. Yeah. <laughs> and he really went for it when he did it. His life is coming to a close, you guys, just like this episode. Um, but he had one last battle that he had to do. Was it for love? No, I, I didn't. Still even get modern it. art. <laughs> I didn't even get into his love story, which is pretty kind of sweet. I like his love maybe we could do some tiktoks his last battle for quinn quinn had been wanting this rosé rosua henry rosua rousseau it's r-o-s-s-a-u-e it's french again he predates picasso in them but picasso and his group of friends were really influenced by him but quinn had been wanting a really piece from him that like he was just like i just want to 
good one. You know, I really want to best of the best. And Ken Wheeler, remember that guy that the that was like stuck in Rome and like had all his paintings and eventually uh, Picasso and him became friends again and like had made some kind of relationship it took a little bit but they were there he had found an unseen Henry Rose Rose and he gotten his hands on it wow and he only he was like he told Picasso specifically so Picasso could talk to Quinn about it because Quinn and Picasso were like, hey, talking at this point. Because he was like, I think Quinn, this would be a good one for Quinn. Like, Roche and everybody had already kind of spread the word and how Quinn had been looking for a Rasu? Rasu? I don't know. So they they rushed over to him because they were like, Ken Willer was like, I'm not going to wait around for 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 Quinn I people want this piece like he's a famous guy I'm gonna make enough money off of it so Quinn has only like two weeks to respond this is the world where they like of course don't have telephones like they did they only telegraphs and if even though this whole book feels like they're slow pace like everything takes a month in between this moment in time obviously had some pressure on it because it had to do with money baby money right because he was like i'm gonna sell it i'm gonna sell it kim willer's i'm gonna do it i'm gonna fucking do it oh my god and they were like telegraphing as fast as they can and like being like answer me quinn and quinn wasn't answering anything oh boy he was like put his phone on silent and they he he left him on on red but but except he did it he just didn't use his finger right to do 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 that's morse code telegram is like they can just type it up they're typing it i i'm selling the painting stop i'm gonna sell it no matter what you say stop are they telegram that's telegram i'm so confused how they they sent it oh oh so they oh you 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 send it out using morse code yeah got it got it (laughs) wow Uh, yeah because you're not typing it out doy because that they're not getting faxes right he ignored Rocher and then he got the second one and he's like, I don't know about this. And he got the third one and he's like, okay, well, fine. He finally writes back and it's like, okay, we'll send a fucking uh, picture. I don't know why he's irritated, but he's irritated. He's in a lot of pain. And they're like, okay, Man Ray, can you take a picture of this? Because they're friends. Remember Man Ray? Wow. Okay. Man, Man Ray, Ray took a lot of paint- pictures of Costa's paintings to send to Quinn. Wow. Well, fun fact. So this was not abnormal. Like Man Ray knew his role in what he had to do and it was to send pictures back to Quinn and so he did and Quinn got it and was like I don't get it what's so special about this again I mean like probably shitty picture I mean like, right what did they were have? there close-ups was there just one I know what was the color quality I know he didn't really was it like, even color it was probably black no definitely not definitely in black and white and yeah did he have this light set up it was probably quick done hastily because everybody's just like hurry up maybe Mary. I bet they set up the lights just like I don't know because you'd have to Quinn was like Y'all are acting weird. I guess this would be a good idea. And he's like, all right. And then because Con Willer and him had known each other and had a rapport, somehow he got a little bit of a discount. (laughs) Sure. So not only did Quinn get first dibs on this unseen, huge, modernist piece, he also got it. He didn't have to bid against anybody. Wow. So that says a lot about where he stood as a financial backer and uh, seriously and collector at that time and he got it and when he got it he was like this is such a win this wow is- he's like okay you were right yeah good exactly. painting exactly and the painting was the dream have you ever seen it and Can it's the re- painting yeah Rousseau, i think oh i have seen this yeah i think i saw this at the chicago institute it's so great isn't that cool now it's you know so a little pretty. bit more it's so pretty that was in quinn's collection oh wait it says it's at the moma so maybe i saw 
Maybe I haven't seen this IRL. Maybe you have, though. Maybe it moved. You don't, you know. Maybe I've just seen something else of his. Yeah, the, his all his pieces are kind of yeah. the same. This would be Quinn's last battle because he would die a short six weeks later. With a huge collection, no one knew what to do with it. <laughs> and that will be for later next episode. We will tell you what happened to the collection and how modern art actually got to the u.s okay okay yeah because that was gonna be my next question is like what <laughs> happens with this collection but wow way to leave them way to leave them thirsting for more you hear that guys tell her you know you guys tell her how good of a job you think yeah, she did give her some five-star reviews all right i love you love you bye
that was, that was so good. Well done. Thank you. Uh, it's you coming at two hours. You know, you guys tell her how good of a job you think. Yeah, Give exactly. Give her five-star reviews. Give me five-star reviews. And um, that was over two hours. Hopefully, I can cut it down to an hour and a half. I, yeah, I think there was some. There's a lot of fumbling. Losses, yeah. All right. I love you. Love you. Bye.